Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show, everyone. I hope you had a fantastic week. We made it to Friday. It's day five of five here, May 29th, 2020. I'm your host, Scott Fullerton. I hope you're ready for the weekend, guys. I sure am. I'm going to take a drive to Lake Erie tomorrow with a good buddy, so that's going to be fun. If you missed yesterday's show, it was a good one, guys. I had on our mental health minute with our special correspondent, Stephanie Schroeder. She was talking about public use and homelessness. And then we carried that through. We had the very handsome and talented actor, Mike Manning on. And one of the projects he talked about was his new documentary he's producing on homelessness with some amazing stars in that. And then we talked with uh, our good friend, Ramis Ellis, she is going to be our new foodie correspondent. We gave a little bit of background as a foodie. So it was a fun show yesterday. I hope you all enjoyed it. If you missed any of our shows, you can always get them the next day. Download them from your favorite podcast distributor. We're always on iHeartRadio and Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, all of those. Just find it. Hit the little subscribe button. You'll get automatic uh, notifications when you can download them if you don't want to have to check there every week. I would appreciate that. Today is Fitness Friday. We're going to start off in just a couple minutes with our special correspondent, Jake Dean Taylor. He shares those duties every Friday with our good buddy, Jason Caceres. So Jake is going to be on in just a couple of minutes to share his Friday fitness tips for the week. Then I have two amazing interviews tonight. I have Alan Broca. Alan is an amazing writer and director of some of the best LGBT and funnest films out there. If you remember part of the Eating Out franchise, there was four in the series. Uh, Our good buddy Ryan Carnes, I had on the show last week, was in the very first one. He directed that, wrote that. Rick and Steve, the happiest gay couple, the gayest, happiest couple in all the world, is an animated show that Alan did. The Big Gay Sketch Show, he was a writer on. That was with Kate McKenna before she was ever on Saturday Night Live, if you ever missed that. And then his upcoming show is Boy Culture. He did the original Boy Culture as a movie back in 2006. He is updating it now as a series here in 2020 
with our gay fitness expert, Jason Caceres, is one of the leads. So that's very cool. And then after uh, Alan tonight, we have on for the first time, uh, Tyler Jean. He is the owner and founder of Functional Foods, very appropriate for a Fitness Friday. He is getting his doctorate as in a real live doctor, boys and girls. He will uh, be finishing that up next year. He's been doing residencies and midterms and everything like that. He starts another residency this summer. But he created this functional foods, and he gives you all the nutritional information you ever need to use on all of these information on his website. He's all about not just a healthy body, but a healthy mind and everything all together. So it's a really good interview. You're going to love that. He'll be on in just a little bit. And then that will be it. We're going to have a great show for you. It should be, we should get done about an hour and a half here. So let's go ahead and play a little music. And when we come back, we're going to have Tyler on to do his fitness minute. He's got a great subject tonight. And you listen to Left of Straight Show. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. 
That was our buddy Matt Stern from Canada with Keeps Me Awake. Guys, it's time to kick off our Fitness Friday with our Friday Fitness Minute with Jake Dean Taylor. Jake, how are we doing today, buddy? I am doing so well. It is the RuPaul's Drag Race finale, and I'm gunning for Crystal Method. I don't know about any of y'all, but I'm letting y'all know that if you're not in her corner... You're dead to me. No, I'm just kidding. But still, it's very exciting. I think exciting. she's a Dark Horse favorite, kind of, though. I think she has a good shot. I don't know. I'm kind of excited you know, to see what happens. I totally agree. And I think that she brings this really fresh, fun, weird take on drag that, like, Evie Oddly did in season 11 that um, right. kind of put her into the front runner sort of category. So I'm excited to see what, what ends up happening. It's going to be epic no matter what. And just just the whole while they're doing like I think five lip syncs or something. Or it's 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 crazy. They're putting the girls through the paces tonight. Or it's gonna be interesting they are, to see they how are. it goes. That's really all they can do from home. There's not much else they can do really with the, you the know zooming what? and everything. So I think it's gonna be and fun. The talent that they have. Agreed. Agreed. Well, I'm going to let you get to it. What do you have to talk to us about this week, my friend? Yeah, definitely. So this week, um, amid everything happening with the news and with a lot of the dark things happening um, and a lot of issues happening with, like, racism and all those really sad things, I really wanted to pull it back, and I wanted to talk about something that I think is super prevalent within the LGBTQ plus community, and that's body shaming. And I think that that's something that's so important for a lot of people, especially people who really want to get into the gym but don't necessarily know how to get into the gym or they feel intimidated. I wanted to shed some light on the history of where body shaming within the LGBTQ plus community came from, um, how it's transpired to what it is today, and then even taking it a step further and helping to dismantle the stigmas that we, that we see and that we feel in order to create a really beautiful path into the future for ourselves and for other people who might be affected by this very, as I said, prevalent body shaming that is happening in our community. Um, so I wanted to go ahead and start by saying that body shaming within, within the LGBTQ plus community started with the AIDS epidemic, unfortunately. Um, as we all know, the AIDS epidemic hit in the late uh, 60s, early 70s, uh, during the sexual revolution and unfortunately because the government didn't give it the attention that it deserved also we didn't have the science that we do now it became a rampant part of the queer community and one of the tragic side effects was that it would cause people to lose a lot of body mass whether it be fat muscle 
everything and it made people look super, super skinny. And because of that, people associated skinny people with having the virus. And that caused Mm. a lot of issues within the community. And so what ended up happening was um, people were essentially shunned. And so in order for that not to happen or for people to feel like um, they didn't have the virus or to show that they didn't have the virus, they went and they worked out a tremendous amount because when, unfortunately, you were uh, stricken with HIV AIDS, you weren't able to put on the muscle mass the same way. You also didn't have the energy to go to the gym. A lot of things were happening in your body. So people who were able to go to the gym to exert themselves, to build that muscle mass and to be able to eat and things like that showed a sign of healthiness. And so that was almost a way of like physically uh, broadcasting, hey, I'm quote unquote healthy. Um, And so because of that, that sort of started transitioning into the 80s where we started having this idea, 80s and 90s, where we started having this idea of um, this notion of physical standards, like beauty standards. And because we had that almost health risk into like health preservation in the 60s and 70s and 80s, it started transforming into a social standard to become that in order to show beauty instead of health, which all of Mm. this kind of gross to begin with. But if you were to look at it from that standpoint, that's sort of where that transpires. Uh, and then um, I made notes here. <laughs> um, and especially because of the heterosexual community, these societal standards arising, and because there was so much pressure politically and societally for homosexual people, people in the LGBTQ plus community, to fit into the standard of heteronormativity, we wanted to fit those same standards, to fit in, to have the same rights, to feel accepted and to feel proud. So we almost cemented this idea of body shaming into our culture in order to feel like we were part of the crowd. And that sort of gave way to this idea of like glamour muscles. So when you go into the gym and you do like bicep curls, which have no fundamental or functional movement at all, like doing a bicep curl does nothing for you. But we were trained that a big bicep is beautiful and it means that people are going to appreciate you and people are going to love you and people are going to want to pay attention to you. And that Mm. gave more way into this idea of body shaming. And so all of these different uh, very specific intricacies combined have created this idea that if you don't have a six pack, if you don't have pecs, if you don't have shoulders, if you don't have biceps and triceps, if you don't have a big old booty or whatever, that you're not beautiful And I just want to sit here and say, first and foremost, every body is created differently. And even though some people might have a big chest, that might only be genetic. And you can't can't hold yourself accountable to not having something like that because some people are predispositioned to have something over somebody else. And that doesn't mean that that person is beautiful or not beautiful or or whatever the case is. And so I think that the start of dismantling the stigma is this idea of uh, asking yourself first, why do I think like that? Why do I think that a chest is beautiful? Why do I think a big butt is beautiful? Why do I think muscles are beautiful? Why do I think a six pack abs are beautiful? And girl, let me tell you something. I don't know if y'all have tried laying on a six pack ab, but when I lay my head on somebody who has a six pack, all I can think of are 12 rocks or six rocks (laughs) or however many rocks they got on their stomach. And if you've never laid on a rock before, it's not comfortable. Save yourself the heartache. So this idea of, of 
being beautiful through physical um, attributes just isn't a thing. And I think that that's the first step is asking, why do I do that? The second step is criticizing the mainstream. Why are we only seeing fit people enjoy healthy items? If you ever look at a commercial, it's always somebody super skinny, super gorgeous, perfect skin, perfect teeth, drinking a slim fast. And it's like, girl, you know, for Mm -hmm. a fact that that person doesn't even drink slim fast because of how skinny they are. Like that's impossible. But then also, and that can also be seen as body shaming. It's to the degree that we have been conditioned and brainwashed to think that only skinny people are allowed and access these things. And if you want to be in that circle, you have to adhere to that very specific lifestyle. And that's not true. And I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, so bear with me, but like people who are right. super thin, like some people are predispositioned to be super thin. They maybe can't put on muscle the same way as other people. And that's totally fine as well. And they should not be hated for that. Um, but I think what should be criticized is how society and media gears us towards that as the beauty standard. And um, I think that that's where a lot of that stigma comes from. And I think that also us showing plus size people enjoying the exact same things or plus size people going on hikes or plus size people um, going to the gym and enjoying lifting weights and enjoying doing cardio and whether or not they have that same physical um, transformation that we might be societally used to doesn't mean that they're not healthy. And so I think that we need to keep that in our minds. Um, And then moving forward, I think that we also need to understand that holding everybody to this universal standard of beauty is completely unrealistic and it's going to set us all up for failure. And it's also going to set us all up to keep divided because not only are we politically divided, like what we're seeing in media today, and not only are we societally divided based on, you know, whether or not we're skinny or we're bigger or, you know, we eat this or we eat that, or even something like skin color, you know, again, like we're seeing in the media today, it's just fully unrealistic for us to hit this universal standard. And so we need to find a way to, first of all, have the conversation with ourselves, then have the conversations with each other, and then finally challenge the conversations that are, being thrown, that are being thrown at us. And I think that that all comes to a head with the idea of us educating ourselves on different ways to promote our friends who do look different and who do act different and do um, kind of go against the gradient when it comes to Uh, physical fitness. And I think that once we're able to do that, we're able to honestly start dismantling body shaming because it's not fair for people who didn't ask to be put to the standard. And it's not fair for people who physically based on their genetics cannot go to that standard. So the beautiful thing about fitness is that it's for everyone. And the only right way to do it is to do it. And It's not about the results. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey. It's about how you feel. It's about your own motivation. And it's about you being able to tear down your own barriers that tell you that you can't. That's what fitness is about. It's not about how you look physically. So I really challenge everybody listening and everybody who's going to listen to really ask yourself, am I doing fitness to get validation or am I doing fitness because I'm validating myself? And If it's Mm -hmm. the latter, I think that you're on the right track. And if it's the former, that's okay. But I fully encourage you to ask yourself why. And that would be my take on body shaming in the LGBTQ plus community. (laughs) 
Well said, Jake. I love that. I think that's a fantastic topic. Um, I love the history. I didn't realize the history of it, and I lived through a little bit of the AIDS crisis. I didn't think about the time because people were wasting away, and uh, you're right. That's it's exactly uh, how it was back then, and that's when you did see the muscle, muscle culture kind of start because back in the 70s, 80s, it was all the porn stash and the regular bodies, and then it, it really started getting the muscle culture, so I agree. Thanks for sharing that, my friend. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm so happy that you gave me a platform to be able to talk about it, and I hope that I can uh, reach people who may not have known it or maybe knew it but then felt like they couldn't really attribute it to anything um, or maybe even society gasped with them into thinking that it, that, that isn't the reason. You know what I mean? There so. you go. Exactly. Well, this plus-size girl is going to come to a workout with you. I love your daily workouts, and when I get to California, I will get my little happy butt out there, and we'll work out together. I love it. I hold you to it. All righty. Well, Jake Dean Taylor, thanks so much for being our special fitness correspondent. We will see you in two weeks. Let everyone know where they can follow you on that Instagram. Yeah, absolutely. So you can follow me on Instagram. I do live workouts four times a week. I'm Jake Dean Taylor on Instagram. Also on Twitter, I'm at Jake Dean Taylor. You can go ahead and follow me there. I don't post too often, but sometimes I make a funny. And I believe that's it. Oh, and I also stream sometimes on Twitch when I play video games, and that's at Lucky Jake Dean. So if you want to watch me play video games and completely fail, uh, go for that too. (laughs) He's a liar. I saw him play once. That's how we first met, and he's pretty damn good. All right, guys. Well, Jake, stay on the line. Jake will be back in two weeks. Next week we'll have his buddy and mine, Jason Caceres, here with his Fitness Minute. We're going to play out here to a little bit of song. When I come back, we're going to have my interview with writer-director, LGBT icon, Alan Broca, and we're going to have an interview about all of his fun films. We'll be back. You'll see the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network.
But thank you for your movies and your advocacy and activism. How have you been keeping yourself busy during this time? I mean, you're so prolific in everything you do. What are you doing? How are you holding up? And what are you doing these days? I have been very busy, actually. Um, Oddly, because everyone is at home, everyone assumes that I am available to do stuff. So I have um, a lot of work, and it's it's been good for me. Um, fortunately, most of it doesn't pay, but <laughs> it's been very busy. <laughs> That's not fun. Wow. Okay. I hear you on that one. Well, let's start off with a little bit of background since it's your first time on the show. You're from Guam, which is like our good friend David Cruz from Finding Cupid. I know he's from Guam. Talk about your yes. background a bit. What kind of a kid were you, and what did you first want to be when you grew up? Um, I was a quiet, nerdy kid. I... Uh, lived on Guam probably the longest in my childhood, but I moved around a lot. So we moved back to Guam several times. I was born there, left left at about six months old, and then moved back several times growing up. Um, I, I transferred schools a lot. I went to 18 different schools before um, I left home at the age of 15 to finish school in one place. And, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was crazy. I guess what I, I wanted to be a director pretty early on when I was a kid in Guam. I made some of my first films uh, with a VHS camera and Legos. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I love that. Wow, that's pretty good. I love people that have thought what they want to be and worked it through all the way through to where they're at now. Talk about you've been such great representative in LGBTQ filmdom and everything. When... Um, when did you first find your LGBT tribe? I don't care about coming out stories as much, but where do you feel you first became at home in the LGBTQ community? Uh, probably in college um, is when I first kind of um, really felt part of a community. Uh, when I was in high school, there wasn't really much of one. I went to a support group, but it was odd and I was way too young <laughs> in this support group but in college there were other people my age and um and that's where I first felt like part of a community nice I like that and now does directing come easier to you you do a lot of writing too does it really kind of depend on your mood or are you able to switch back and forth from both hats pretty easily um, I think I can go back and forth fairly easily. Um, I enjoy writing, but I think I like directing more um, these days in that because if you're directing, it's getting made. Um, and I've just written so many things that have not been made. <laughs> so, oh. um, Or, you know, I have a number of projects that have been in the process of being made for years. So directing means it's actually happening. <laughs> so I do enjoy that <laughs> a little bit more. Gotcha. And besides it getting made, what draws you to a project you haven't written? What draws you to to your different directing gigs? What needs to be there for you uh, to really get excited about it? <laughs> for directing, um, I'll pre- I'll direct almost anything. I um, it just if there's the opportunity, I love telling stories, um, and it doesn't need to be a script that I wrote. So. Um, I started writing in order to have things to direct, and then I continued writing because I enjoyed it. But um, in more recently, I've been directing things that I have had nothing to do with the writing of, and I, it's just fun. I, I love taking the tool, whatever tools are available to, available to me, and telling a story 
um, are putting my spin on a story that someone else has written. It's a super fun, enjoyable process. Well, let's go ahead and go through a little This Is Your Life because I've just about sprained my little finger walking down your IMDb page. Um, I want to start <laughs> with the eating out franchises. As I told you out there, Ryan Carnes has been a great friend of the show. He was just on last week, as a matter of fact. Talk about the franchise in general, how that came about. And I remember Jim Barreros, that was like his first gig outside of Idol. Talk about the mm-hmm. shows and working with the people on it. Sure. So Eating Out was my first feature film. I was just out of film school, and I'd written a script in film school. Uh, I wrote it as a joke. To um, We had to read pages every week, and I just wanted to read to have people read out gay sex scenes in class. And so uh, I thought, how could I make a gay sex scene really explicit that you could read out loud? And I was like, oh, what if it's a phone sex scene? And so the first movie centers around kind of a, a straight guy having a gay experience via phone sex. And I based an entire feature script around it because I once thought it'd be fun to read out in class. And then I never planned to make it. Um, I didn't plan to do anything with it. I had some other scripts I was trying to make, and I met the producer, Michael Scholl, um, from Aristic Hell Entertainment on the film festival circuit, and he had a small, a very, very small amount of money and said, do you think you have a script um, that you could make in 10 days for this amount of money um, that has full frontal nudity in it? <laughs> I said, well, you know, I actually do have a script. There's no frontal nudity in it yet, but it would sure would fit in. So um, I pitched him the Eating Out movie, sent him the script, he loved it, and we went off and shot it. That's how That's it all started. An amazing I story. never expected much <laughs> to happen with it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's an amazing story. I love that. Well, I love the names for it. I mean, Sloppy Seconds, All You Can Eat, Drama Camp. Um, I love the ex-gay trope in two uh, Sloppy Seconds. I thought that was a hilarious take on that. Um, how did how did these ideas keep coming to you? What, what was it like to write the sequels? The sequels, um, it, the sequels were really fun to write. I wrote all of them with Philip Bartel, who um, is a good friend of mine. He edited the first one. And um, I, actually, he's edited all of them. He's edited most of my films, um, but he's also a great writer. Um, so I asked him to co-write all of the sequels with me, and he, and he did. So we would just kind of sit around, come up with what would be fun. Um, the central premise of the first film is about someone pre- pretending to be something they're not in order to get to someone that they like. And, right. you know, the ultimate message is you don't really need to do that it's best to be yourself. And uh, we just liked taking that premise and twisting it around in various different ways with every sequel. Um, But at the end of the day, there will always be somebody pretending in order to meet someone that they want and realize at the end of the day that maybe that wasn't necessary. There you go. Catfishing when catfishing wasn't a thing back in the day before social media, right? (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We, we covered, we did some catfishing in the third one. Before there was the word catfishing, but yeah. Yeah, and the third one brought Chris Salvatore on board for that and brought him to those. That's uh-huh. awesome. Um, you had Drew Drogi, who's been a good friend of the show, and Ronnie Kroll had a small part in four. I mean, it's they've been fun mm-hmm. shows. I mean, they're just great kind of fun things, but they have that small little message in there that hopefully someone gets <laughs> out of it, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it, there, the the goal of them wasn't to have messages. I think the messages <laughs> just come from our, our love of the characters in the world. But the goal of it was to um, to make a fun, sexy movie that the ones that I wanted to see when I was coming up, I, I would watch like American Pie, um, Porky's, Meatballs, those kind of movies where they're, they're, right. they're um, people kind of coming of age, experiencing their first sexual encounters, but they were always straight. And I always found myself projecting myself into like, what is that girl? This is, was a boy or, you know, which character am I in this trying to find myself in them? And I just wanted an escapist film like that for us. And then um, when the idea of a fran- the possibility of a franchise came up, I was like, absolutely. That's exactly what these films do. They make <laughs> franchises. Let's do it. Very fun. I loved every single one of them, I got to tell you. And I want to move on to Big Gay Sketch Show. That you were primarily a writer. <laughs> the amazing Amanda Beers did most of the directing on that. That was Kate McKinnon pre-SNL. You had Rosie O'Donnell on it. Mm-hmm. Talk about that experience. That was a crazy fun experience. So I was a writer on the first and third seasons of the show. I left the show to do my own uh, show, Rick and Steve. Um, it was really fun. I got to go out to New York and be in a writer's room for the first time, like with, a, with actually other, with, you know, with, with uh, real writers. <laughs> people that weren't just people that I knew and asked to write with me. Um, and I was certainly scared and intimidated to be um, sitting across from Rosie O'Donnell and pitching jokes to her, but um, I got comfortable pretty quick. And uh, yes, working with Kate McKinnon on that was, it was magical. She was the kind of person who you knew was going to be huge because um, everything she did was funny. She she was hilarious. She could take an unfunny joke and make it funny. She she was a terrific um, terrific person to write with. We wrote a few sketches together. Yeah, the whole the whole experience was was really fun. I left the show to do my own show, and then I came back on their third season. That's amazing. I'm glad to hear. I mean, I, I told everyone when. I first saw on SNL, it's like she was amazing in the sketch show. You guys have to try to go back and find that because she she has had it the entire time. I'm glad to hear that it was noticed by you so early on because she is funny as hell. I love that. Very, very cool. Oh, yeah. She, well, she is great. Like, we would team up and just sit around and make up sketches and <laughs> it was just fun. It's like, 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 that's a fun job. I love people that think funny. I mean, there's not many that do, but those that do are the people to be around. I'll tell you, that's for sure. Well, we'll talk about that. You mentioned Rick and Steve, happiest gay couple in all the world. Peter Page was just on the show last week. Um, Will Matthews has done so much great kind of behind the scenes voices and things like this. You had a who's who on there. I mean, Wilson Cruz, Margaret Cho, Alan Cumming, yourself doing voices. Talk about that experience. Uh, Rick and Steve was a phenomenal experience, one of the best I've ever had in my life. It started as a short film that I made in film school. The film went to Sundance and a bunch of different film festivals, and I pitched it for years. And then um, it was before there was a logo network, and the logo network was created. We pitched it there, and they bought it. We became um, one of their first 
first few scripted shows that they ever did. And I had a dream cast and almost every one of my dream casts said yes. So it was, it was magical. Like that rarely happens for me. Um, Peter was on my wish list. Wilson Cruz was on my wish list. Wilson, I actually, I had gone up two years before when I saw him in public um, and I just moved here and had just made this short. I said that um, I was working on a series that I wanted him to be in. <laughs> I just saw him up at a bar and told him that. And he was sweet and kind to me. <laughs> and then, you know, a few years later, he was in it. That is crazy. I love it. Now, talk about that process. It's animation. We always hear animation takes five years to get from film uh, to the big screen. Talk about what it's like for TV. What kind of a process was that to get that done? Sure. This is stop motion animation. So it was a little bit different. Everything had to be built and then filmed one frame at a time. So we were constructing sets and um, painting and um, lighting them and then, and then uh, setting, setting up the puppets and moving them and then shooting another frame. So we had 16 animation stages running to shoot a season took about six months with all the stages running. One stage could get about eight seconds of animation done in a day. That's incredible. Oh, my goodness. Now, you said this started out as a school project, so you did the animation as a project. Were you expecting it to be as much work as it ended up being for a series, or was it a little shocking? Um, well, no, this, the school project uh, was made completely out of Legos. So it was just me, one animator, um, sh- shooting <laughs> in my bedroom that I was renting at a time on top of the stereo. So, the, you know, that was a very long, very long process. It was, it was hot. I had no air conditioning. I was sweating most of the time. It was just, <laughs> uh, it took weeks and weeks of me, sh- of, of me shooting that. So that was harder for me. Um, once we had a series made, then there was a whole, I, my job was just easier. It was just coming up with ideas and just telling people what to do. So um, I didn't, you know, I, I, it was stressful for sure, but um, we had a crew of 120 people working on the series um, doing, doing all of the heavy lifting, you know, so that made it a lot easier for me. When I did on my own, I was shooting, lighting, doing everything. Now you said you got most of your dream cast for voiceover. Is there anyone that you were really hoping to get that you weren't able to get? Um, I'm sure there were, um, but I, I don't want to like call out names of people who uh, passed no. <laughs> for whatever reason. <laughs> you know, I don't know what their reasons were. Um, but but uh, the, the ones I was most amazed to get was well, well, number one was Margaret Cho. I wrote that role for her. She was always in my head and. Um, she said yes right away. That was like a, such a huge thing for me because she was just so impactful and influential on me just being uh, an out queer Asian com- comedian, um, something that there just were so few of. Um, and Peter Page was another huge one for me. I was just so thrilled when he he actually came in and auditioned. And I was like, what? <laughs> he, he can have it. <laughs> so it was, it was fantastic. Oh, Alan Cumming was another one, too. Um, um, yeah, I thought there was no way Alan Cumming will say yes. Like, he's huge, but um, he did. 
And was it an easy process for them? Though? I mean, the voiceover is usually so much different. Did, did they each do their own kind of bits separately like you see done, or did any of them work together? Uh, we we had a, a, a bunch of the main cast who worked together. I think we would record in twos. So I think we had the couples come in. I think on a couple of occasions we might have had four people at once, um, but, but never more than that. Uh, but often we'd have, like, too, like Rick and Steve would come in together and read together and Chuck and Evan would read together and Dana and Kirsten would read together just because they had so many scenes with each other it was uh, more more fun if they could play off each other I bet yeah that just had to be pinch me pinch me kind of days on the set that would be very fun I love that Margaret Cho has turned into a great friend of the show she's on every year and she's coming on next month she was my hardest interview ever because I thought being a comedian, she would she would just talk and talk and talk, and she was shy. I was surprised how shy she was when she first came on, and I had, like, only one page of questions, and we were done in, like, 15 minutes. But I learned. I learned from her, and now I have, like, five pages of questions just in case. But she's the nicest person on the planet. I love her. Yeah, she's she's amazing uh, and so supportive of, of other artists. Yes, she really is. I mean, she, she's just fantastic. All right, I want to move on here. Before there was Crazy Rich Asians, there was Before I Got Famous. Talk about that series. That looks like it was a lot of fun to do. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. So that I was just a writer on. Um, I met with a um, a young producer named Vasco Shu who had seen Boy Culture and reached out to me um, with an idea of a of this, this series that he was trying to make for the Chinese market. He really wanted something with an openly gay Chinese character trying to make it in America. And so he's like, I want it to be that. <laughs> that I think that was the premise he pitched. <laughs> and, um, and so he hired me and another writer called Mark, Mark Mizinski. And we um, kind of came up with everything else together. We, uh, decided who this character was, what he wanted, added all the other characters, um, and basically developed this show and wrote scripts. And um, it was for, for Vasco was producing, and he had another direct, he had a director uh, attached already. Her name is Giovanna um, Sarki. She directed, he produced, and they made the show, like, right after. So it was something that they had already acquired funding for and were just looking for writers to kind of bring this idea, form it into a full series, and then um, write it out. And that's what we did. It was it was a lot of fun and something that I was really proud to be a part of and really excited to see get out there. And then we want to talk about Still Waiting in the Wings. It just uh, came out last about a week and a half ago now. Um, Jeffrey mm-hmm. John's been a good friend of the show for a long time. You brought such – I mean, the first one was good. Uh, the second one is a lot more broad, more fun. Talk about going into a project that's already been done from someone else directing. What was that challenge like? And talk about the mm-hmm. show overall. Well, um, this I hadn't heard of the original, actually. Um, Jeffrey reached out to me on Facebook and said, hey, I have this movie and we're doing a sequel. Are you interested in directing? So I checked it out, and I had always wanted to make a musical. Um, it, it just sounded like so much fun, and I had some ideas that I wanted to do in a musical, some 
some shots and, and numbers. So I was super excited about it. Um, I said I was interested. He gave me more information. And, yeah, so there was already a film that had been made. There was a look established. The entire thing was already cast. The crew was already hired. It was like everything was in place. They just needed a director. Um, that is something that um, hadn't really happened to me before. Normally a director would would be part of casting and be part of um, uh, bringing on the crew, but everything was right. already there. They just needed a director. Um, so it felt it was a lot like doing an episode of television. When you come in to, t to do an episode of TV, everything is established. There's already a cast. There's a world that exists, and you, you can play within that world, but it has to feel like um, an, an episode of that show. You can't go off and do your own thing. Right, right. Um, it's not really what you're there to do. You're there to, um, to tell a story in a, in a way that's kind of been established. So I, I just approached it like that, like I was doing an episode of television. And honestly, with the budget, it was, it was very small and a very full shoot schedule. So it was a lot like that. Um, so, I mean, my goal was just to have fun and, and make a musical and that's, nice. that's what I did. <laughs> I had, there was a great cast and we you got kind of just great went in cast, and made pretty shots every day. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that all, that's that amazing. Cast, there was some amazing, amazing guest stars and that was all Jeffrey, just, just Jeffrey, just hitting the pavement every day, emailing like 50 people. Um, knowing that two of them would say yes, and they were always two amazing people. That is wild. Yeah, I just couldn't believe all the people in it. I mean, from Ed Asner to everybody, I mean, ah, so good, so good. Yeah, Ed Asner, Cindy Williams, Sheeta Rivera, Patricia Richardson. It was like every day, it was like a new guest star. Sally Struthers, was, which, I mean, how could you not want to be on a set like that? It was so much fun. Patricia even shouted out on her Twitter the other day. I follow her, and she was talking about it the other day, I think. And uh, it just it people it seemed to have a really good time on it. Jeffrey said that they all send him thank yous afterwards, and they enjoyed it as much as he enjoyed bringing them all together. So that's a tribute to you and to him that they had such a good time on set. Yeah, on a, on a film like this, like the budget is so small, and accommodations are not the greatest, and the schedule is so tight, like. Um, you're asking a lot of people, especially if they're established professionals, they're basically doing a huge favor to 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 be right. somewhere. Like, I'll buy you to, to be on a production of this <laughs> size. So, like, the best you can do is just make it fun. If you make it make it a really good time, make them have fun and want to come back every day and like not think about what they might not be getting that they would be getting on a bigger Hollywood film. So um, that was, that's my goal with with these, just to make it a relaxing and fun environment for our cast so that they will keep coming back and keep feeling safe to give us great performances. Nice. I like it. Well, it was, it was a fun show. I loved every second of it. And like I said, great cast. Let's finish up with Boy Culture. You are bringing this back. I mean, the original was in 2006. Talk about the impetus for bringing this back again. As we said uh, off air, my buddy Jason Caceres is uh, one of the leads in this. Talk about revisiting this project. So, Boy Culture, uh, we, when we finished the film in, in 2006, we actually started pitching it as a series then. Um, I'd always thought it would make a, a good series because the way the book is is a, is a series of confession and and each chapter was a different confession, like a different story of his life. 
And I thought that um, it just would lend itself to be a, to be a series because each episode could be around a different client and we could um, look into a new window of sexuality in some, of some, someone else's life every, every time he goes to a new door. Like, we don't know what's going to be there. So um, back in 2006, though, there was just nobody really wanted gay content, and they definitely didn't want it if there was sexuality in it. <laughs> so it was, just, it was right. a super hard sell. Um, but since, you know, in the years since, there's been a, a, like um, an explosion of gay characters in television and gay content, and sexuality has been less taboo to explore um, so um, we thought we would try it again, um, and we thought the best way to do it would be just to shoot our own series on a, on a small budget, do 15-minute episodes to kind of give a, a feel of what this would be like. So we did six 15-minute episodes, and even that took a while for us, for us to raise this small amount of money. We did Kickstarter and a lot of begging. <laughs> So, yeah, we actually wrote this script probably five years ago and then <laughs> filmed it almost two years ago. And we are like, I am reviewing score today. We're finally near the end of, of this. It's been a very long, very long road. <laughs> well, that's exciting, though. So, that it's um, kind of coming yeah. to your fruition here, though. But, uh, yes, and yeah, very I, close. I, Picture is locked. Six, 15 minutes is, is an hour and a half feature. So there's there's a lot of money and time and, and expense involved in that. So I hear you on the, the budget. So that's real important. But talk about um, are you going, are each of these 15 minutes episodes, like you said, one of the visionettes from the book? Or is it kind of one solid arc over one part of it? Or how are you re-envisioning this? Oh, so we um, no, it's we've departed from the book. We've stuck with our same lead, two lead characters, X and Andrew, and we've hopped in with them um, ten years later. And X goes back into the hustling business, and it's more about how this world has changed in the in the ten years since he's been in it, and how their relationship has evolved over the past ten years. And and how was that? Uh, you, I mean, you brought back Daryl Stevens, which is amazing. Uh, you brought back Derek Magier, which was amazing. How was it like getting them back together again and then bringing the new cast on? Uh, you know, uh, Derek and Daryl together had such a terrific chemistry. And honestly, when they first sat down and at our table read, it felt like there hadn't been 10 years in between. It, they just picked it right back up and were right back in. It was, it was astonishing. It, it felt almost continuous there. There were, there was no adjusting even like there was not, it felt like there wasn't even a sense of them having to get to know each other again. Um, it, it just picked wow. right up really easily. It was, it was really magical to watch bringing in the new cast uh, was, was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to kind of write the characters and um, Jason Caceres plays a character that uh, we had so much fun writing and we're worried about if we could ever find a person who could embody this, but Jason did it beautifully and um, he's hilarious. And I hope we see a lot more of him on screen uh, in the future. There you go. Yeah. He's, he's an amazing actor and just brings a lightheartedness to it, but can do serious too, but he makes it, you make yeah. it, you fall in love with it. So that's very cool. I like that. 
Well, congratulations on that. I can't wait for that to get out of there. Now, you're working on all the other projects. Is there anything you're able to talk about here? Or what, what are you really hoping to be doing once things go back into full swing or at least partial swing in the coming weeks and months? Sure. I have a project in pre-production right now called Be Normal. It's a hilarious high school comedy. Um, I didn't write it, but I'm directing it. And uh, we were supposed to shoot this summer, so I don't know that it's <laughs> going to happen in the summer. Our financing has not gone away, so that's nice. Um, so we are just kind of working on script, working on pre-production stuff, and hopefully we get a good green light to to pick it up and shoot. It is a comedy about uh, twin sisters. One is straight, popular cheerleader, and the other is a outcast, bullied lesbian. They're both in high school and they wake up one day and the world has switched. They go to school and being a lesbian is cool and being a girly straight girl is not. And they have to figure out what happened and how to get back. (laughs) And if they want to get back to the world as it was. That's an amazing premise. I love that. Uh, I was saying it's a really super fun script written by Joanna Benica and it was she submitted the script to the Outfest Screenwriters Lab, and we were paired up to um, to present a scene from it. And this was about four years ago. We've been working on the project for that long. Uh, finally, our financing started to come through this year. Is there any project that's on your drawing board that you're writing that you're hoping to get out there, or what, what's kind of been interesting you on the writing side? Uh, on the writing side, I am writing a rock musical. Um, about a um, a grandmother who gets custody of her gay grandson and starts a rock band for them. No way. That sounds so fun. Where did that come to you from? I love that. It is. I've just always been interested in stories about teenagers and stories about seniors. And I, I <laughs> thought it would be fun to do one where those two worlds came together. That is amazing. I'll have to keep a surprise of that one. I love it. Well, Alan Brockett, it's been great going over uh, This Is Your Life of Film. You've done some of my favorite films. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. It has been my pleasure, sir. Let everyone know where they can find you on social or website. What's what's the best way to get a hold of you or track you down and see some of these great works of yours? Um, Twitter is probably where I'm most active. Twitter, my handle is Alan Broca, A-L-L-A-N-B-R-O-C-K-A. Super duper. Alan, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Stay on the line for me. Guys, we're going to play out with a little song from Waiting in the Wings that I kind of fell in love with, these two characters. It's called A Song I Wrote for You. And I'll be back in just a couple minutes. You're listening to Left of Straight Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. There are things I haven't told you There are things I think a lot Like I'm so happy when you're smiling That it's hard when you are not Words are not my forte Especially when they're overdue So I put a few together In a song I wrote for you There were boys who played me music 
And I thought I liked the song But I think I hated silence And that's why I sang along You make more than music You make others hear it too And I wanted you to hear it In a song I wrote for you Let's just face tomorrow And the rest we can discuss I'll be here, you'll see And now we have a song you wrote for me And a song I wrote for us Alrighty, guys, we are back. Big thank you to Alan Broca. We're getting ready for our next interview here. He is, as I said, a full-on doctor. His Functional Foods is an amazing group of over uh, 250,000 people that he's gathered together to talk health in mind and body and fitness and food to what to put in yourself. And it's just he has some great uh, great tips, and you're going to hear some great uh, inspirational advice from Tyler Jean here in just a couple of seconds. So let's go ahead and play that, and I will be back to wrap things up in just a little while. You'll see the Left to Straight show right here on the Left to Straight radio network. I fell in love with a photo, head over heels for a face, I'll never know. Squeaky clean in a bathrobe. The hint of the skin that hides below I can't help it, I'm already, already Daydreaming this fantasy, fantasy Repeating, but nobody's stripping for me All I got are these eyes looking out of my screen
get outside the frame I might want nothing to do with you If we met outside the frame I might want to put you back in Alexander with photographs. And speaking of photographs, my next guest has you looking at yourself in a whole new way through your food. He was recommended to me by Sam Cushing when I had him on a couple of weeks ago. And after looking over his profile, I had to have him on the show. He's had his own share of health issues, including generalized anxiety, asthma, eczema, and ADHD. And he's found a 250,000-person-plus community called Function Foods while getting to the bottom of all of that. He received his BS in cell and molecular biology and will be a naturopathic doctor in June of 2021. You all know that I'm always trying to learn new things myself during this weight loss and self-improvement journey that I've been on. So a Fitness Friday is the perfect time to talk food. Please welcome to the show for the very first time. Mr. Tyler Jean. Thanks for having me, Scott. It's great to be here. I appreciate having you on, my friend. It's been great getting to kind of read over your information. Sam had such great things to say about you, and I can see why. You have accomplished a lot and learned a lot in your short lifetime there, my friend. Good on you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm always, uh, you know, looking just to better myself, I think, as many of us are. Of course, of course. Well, you've been doing some amazing um, Instagram lives during this time. You have a lot of stuff going on. How are you holding up overall? I mean, you were going to school. I think you had midterms in the middle of all this. You doing good? You feeling good? And how are you handling all this crazy time stuff? Yeah, you know, it's it's a really difficult time for a lot of people. And I know there's a lot of uncertainty about when things are going to get back to the sense of normalcy. Uh, for me, you know, I feel pretty grounded and, you know, being, I'm currently doing medical school online. I'm in my last of three years of, of a four-year program before I actually move on to my clinical rotation this summer. But, um, you know, for me, self-care has always been really important. It grounds me for the day and kind of having routine before I get started on those tasks that I need to accomplish for the day. I was a uh, Division One student athlete. I swam uh, in the Pac-12 um, at UC Santa Barbara, and, um, you know, being an athlete, it really kind of instills within you this, this work ethic in a way, but, um, you know, making sure that I am taking care of myself so that I'm not, you know, pouring from an empty bucket um, has been so important for me, but, um, you know, here with my family right now, actually in California, since school's online, it's been really nice just to be with my parents, to slow down a little bit, uh, kind of turn a little bit inward, and just focus on the things that really matter during this time, and I think for a lot of us, too, um, this time is really, you know, asking us to slow down and give ourselves permission to turn inward and, you know, really nurture ourselves during this time. Exactly. I've talked to a few people of that over the past couple of weeks. I mean, there is no 
right or wrong way to do a pandemic, right? And you don't need to put extra pressure on yourself by having to lose those extra five pounds or having to write your memoir or having to record the best song. It's just kind of doing what's right for you and trying to figure that out, right? Absolutely. We're all at our, you know, own place in life. And for some people uh, that are, you know, I'm very type A person. And for people that maybe, you know, tie a lot of their uh, accomplishments and their work to their self, um, it could be a little discouraging when, you know, maybe you don't feel as motivated and peppy to get a lot done uh, during this time. But I think just recognizing where you're at uh, and giving yourself permission to slow down and to be okay with not doing as much, uh, I think is really important. And like I said, I think this time is a great reminder for all of us that, you know, we're all on our own journey and it's not fair to compare ourselves to other people and where they're at in their process and that we're all dealing with this, you know, maybe doing really well with it. Some of us may be really struggling. So I think it's important to honor that and that all, you know, feelings are valid um, and that, you know, we're all going to eventually get through this. It will pass, but, you know, it's going to take time. Exactly. And I love what you say on your website. You're a recovering perfectionist. Um, (laughs) Sounds like you're actually hard on yourself there as most of us are on each other how has that been to recover from are you still in still in in uh recovery for that <laughs> yeah i'm i'm doing a lot better i mean when i got to medical school i just realized i couldn't keep up this perfectionistic mindset i i just literally couldn't just to keep up with the volume and the demand of what medical school is asking of me right. you know really you know this this journey in medical school um you know, a lot of people ask me, how is medical school? And I will say, you know, it's, honestly, I mean, it's been really challenging, some of the most challenging years of my life. But um, it's really, um, in a way, it's put my life on hold. And that's how I kind of describe it to things. And I feel like it's really forced me to turn inward and really kind of, you know, sit with myself and things that I kind of have pushed off most of my life. And also just kind of uncovering, like, why, why was I such a perfection? perfectionist why was I so driven to accomplish everything at such a young age and kind of just unearthing more of that those roots to what drove me to get to this point and really you know I'll tell you Scott is that you know a lot of that was this these these deeper wounds from a young age that just I so desperately desperately wanted to feel validated and seen and worthy as I know so many other people want to feel those things too that you know I matter that you notice me. And, you know, this was my way of trying to externalize that validation to other people. And when I kind of put these pieces together, I was like, wow, like, why am I trying so, so hard when, you know, you know, finding out that the real true root of that and what drove me so much was really this, this deep hatred for myself that was, you know, the shame story around my sexuality. And, you know, when I was able to really kind of unearth that and kind of figure out what drove me so much, it was just, it gave me this sense of calm that, that, you know, it's going to be okay. And like, this isn't the solution. And that kind of working through this and kind of understanding, you know, where this was coming from, like working with, with the body and working through this, like that is the best solution as opposed to, you know, just working myself so much to a point where it really wasn't sustainable, to be honest. Right. Well, it's so amazing to have that kind of a journey. It's painful, but it's such a growthful and fulfilling time. Let's start there since it's your first time on the show. Give a bit of background. What kind of a kid were you growing up? And talk about that journey getting through the earlier years. Yeah. So 
I uh, grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. I have a younger brother. We're a year apart. And I come from a very athletic family, played lots of sports growing up, every sport really, but really took a liking to swimming. Um, it was something that I was good at. It was a way to kind of numb myself in a way. If you've ever swam before, you can relate. Like, it's really just you and the water um, and right. your head, head a lot. And so um, I ended up going – um, you know, found success at an early age, went year round when I was 13 and ended up receiving a division one scholarship uh, and swam um, throughout college and even post-grad uh, through the 2016 Olympic trials. And, you know, it was this, like I was kind of talking about this, the shame story, uh, this desire to be seen and to be successful and, you know, other people's eyes that really drove me from a young age to instill this work ethic. And, you know, I will say that it really has made me the person I am today and it has allowed me to really accomplish as, as much as I've been able to accomplish at such a young age. But, um, you know, looking back on this journey, you know, I did struggle a lot, but I understand why I did what I did. You know, I can say that my, my family has been super supportive, you know, every step of the way in my journey and, and kind of figuring out what is it that I want to do with my life. And from a young age, I it was kind of like I like the, the sciences and the human body is fascinating to me. And I was an athlete and I really wanted to understand more on how to optimize the human body from a sports-based perspective. But it also kind of fueled this passion mm-hmm. to, to medicine and to, to help others. Because I think that, you know, when we, if we can help ourselves, then we can help others. And there's healing and sharing our story and how we overcame, um, you know, some of these probably deepest points in our life. And so, um, you know, there is healing to me and sharing my story and how I overcame these things. And, you know, like you mentioned in the intro, like I started this health and wellness community where I share not only about food and this message of food as medicine, but how to care to all realms and aspects of health, whether that's the, the mindfulness aspect, spirituality, uh, the physical body and how food and exercise and relationships that all fit together because the body is this beautiful, beautifully crafted entity that. And, you know, when the body is given all those tools and you remove any of those offending factors that are holding it back, you really put the body in this beautiful position to heal. And I really, really believe in that. And so for anybody that is struggling, just know that there's so many answers out there if you just haven't found them yet. That is great advice. I love that. And, yeah, I think there's so many ways to come about um, your journey. I think what it's important to find your purpose and your tribe. I say that in different ways, through sexuality, through your business Mm -hmm. um, thoughts or anything, where, where did you first kind of feel like you found your tribe or how did you create your tribe? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I feel like I've really found my tribe. First, it was kind of in the health and wellness space. And that's kind of where I first gravitated, gravitated to when I got onto social media and started, you know, really trying to create the community um, that I always, was looking for and wanted. I tried to create that space for myself to, you know, really share this message and empower people that, you know, they can take back their health no matter where you're at in life. And so I started there. um, And at the time, you know, again, I was really looking for community during that time too. And I, I feel like it wasn't until just recently that I really felt out of alignment with the LGBT community. I still, in a way, rejected myself. And that rejection of self, in a way, made me reject the, um, the community at large. Um, and so it made it kind of closed me off in a way, and it made me really made it hard for me to make other friends. 
in the in the space. And so I kind of started with the health and wellness space, but with that, you know, attracted other like-minded people that were looking at bettering themselves and that they wanted to improve their life, whether that's through spirituality or their physical body with nutrition and movement and mindfulness-based practices. And I think a lot of people that, um, you know, are a part of the LGBTQ community are, you know, more often than not more in tune with their body and, um, you know, are are more focused on their health. Um, I really believe that. And so that's something that I've noticed. And so I think with that, it, it kind of attracted more of that audience as well. You know, it's really allowed me to connect with other like-minded people in a way that I never, you know, saw possible. Um, and from there, you know, it's just, it's blossomed and I've been able to create, you know, amazing relationships through social media, which I think is an amazing way to use social media for. Um, and again, that empowerment aspect to leave people feeling inspired that they can, you know, you know, improve their health, that they, that they have the power to radically change their life if they really want to, to do that. And so, um, you know, that's where I first started. And kind of as I've been going through this journey, um, I feel like I've been kind of, you know, one, becoming more in alignment with myself. And by doing that, it's allowed me to further expand into the LGBTQ community at large. Very nice. And I want to, uh, we're definitely going to talk about the nutritional value in our bodies and everything with food, because that's so important and a big part of what you do. But another part of what mm-hmm. you do, which I love, is the mental aspect of it. I don't know where I heard it first years ago, and I think I I saw it in some of your literature, but where um, disease is really dis-ease with your mm-hmm. mental health, with your body. Um, talk about the mental and the other aspects of nutrition and health and just looking out for yourself that way. Absolutely. I can touch on both of them. And so, you know, when it comes to mental health or mental wellness, I mean, you got to think about what are those, what is the foundation for health? You know, how do we build the building blocks for health? And so your brain, which is an organ within the body is responding to this environment at large, what I call the internal terrain. And so every single organ, every single cell is, is responding to and sensing and taking cues from that internal environment. And so the food we eat creates the foundations for health. And so a lot of people are talking about gut health right now. I always like to talk about gut health and everyone has probably talked about, you know, in in the health and wellness space, at least um, how important it is to cultivate and nurture that inner garden or that gut microbiome, which is what we call it in the medical field. And so Mm -hmm. we are actually more bacteria than we are cells. We actually have more genes that encode for viruses and bacteria in our body than we do cells. And so when we understand that there's this, symbiotic mutual relationship between the bacteria in our body and their intimate relationship to our biochemistry and our physiology that impact our, our wellness. Like it's, it, it transforms people's mind that like, you know, the food that I'm nourishing my body is literally the building block that creates the cells within my brain that function from a neurological perspective to create mood. And so Um, We know that in the gut microbiome, so again, the bacteria that, those commensal bacteria that reside in our gut and specifically our colon, the large intestine, those bacteria are influenced by the foods that we eat at large. These are um, in particular what we call prebiotics and probiotics, which many, you know, people that maybe listen to this or you've heard yourself have been marketed to, and maybe that's taking something like psyllium husk in a powder, you know, fiber, 
or um, it's a probiotic in a capsule. And so prebiotics are really fiber. It's this indigestible carbohydrates that we can't break down in terms of our human cells, but the bacteria that reside in our gut can. And when those bacteria can break down that fiber, those prebiotic fibers, uh, they create these what we call postbiotics, so these byproducts of metabolism. And those postbiotics have uh, beneficial effects not only on our immune system, but on our metabolism. Uh, and it also helps send certain signals to the brain via this axis called the gut-brain axis. So, you know, it's very intricate, it's very complex, but it's so fascinating to me that, you know, it really comes back to this message that, you know, everything is connected in this, this aspect of holistic medicine and integrative medicine, right. that everything is connected. And so food being that found one of those foundational pillars that build on our mental health. Now, I will also say when it comes to kind of like mental health too, it's like addressing some of those traumas and those wounds that, you know, so many people suffer at such a young age when the subconscious mind is developing and how that right. impacts our behaviors as adults and as we get older and why we gravitate to the relationships that we do and why we act the way that we do and why, you know, you know, it, it gives meaning to who we are. And, you know, some of the most healing work I have experienced in being in the medical field and really focusing on the physical body. I mean, that's really what it is. Thinking about nutrition, diet, lifestyle, all the things, sleep, you know, think about all those foundational pillars for health. You know, those are all important. You need the foundation set in place. But if you don't address the mental aspect too and kind of those, the, the subconscious and some of those traumas that we've endured our young life, you know, that is going to impact your overall health. And I think I just wanted to clarify too, definition-wise, when it comes to like traumas, a lot of us think about something like very significant. Maybe it's a divorce uh, in a family. Maybe it's abuse. Um, maybe it's some type of, you know, sexual abuse. It could also be the death of a loved one that you really were close to. But, you know, I right. see also like being denied your authentic self in whatever capacity that looks like. That, in my mind, too, is also a trauma. And that was this big awakening for me that being denied in a way my authentic self in terms of fully expressing my authentic self in terms of my sexuality was this trauma. It was this wound that, you know, was, you know, really at the core of all of this unwellness and disease that I was experiencing early on. And, you know, I turned to all of the, the other things when it comes to health that we talked about, eating really well, prioritizing sleep, movement. And like I said, I was an athlete trying to incorporate mindfulness practices like yoga and spending time in nature, you know, all these things, fostering community that don't get me wrong. They are all important and one can't be done without the other. But the biggest thing that I was pushing under the rug and ignoring was that rejection of self and that denial mm -hmm. of self and this root trauma. And until I really started to nurture that wound, you know, my health wasn't really making that much change. And so when I really started to address that, things opened up for me in ways that I, I can't even explain. <laughs> I love how you say that. Though. That's, and it's such a fascinating combination between our physical health and our mental well-being. And just so well said, I appreciate that. Now, you have quite a few um, different things that are especially towards you. A couple things I want to talk about that kind of go with what mm -hmm. we were just saying here. Let's talk about human optimization and then detoxification of the body, because I think both of those are very mm -hmm. important. Yeah. So when it comes to optimizing your health, like I said, you have to really 
establish those foundations for health. So let's go through what, what those are. So I would say food. Food is the building block, like I said. And so when it comes to food, you know, people can get really dogmatic. You've probably heard about, you know, a vegan diet or a paleo diet or keto. And it's, you know, especially popular for weight loss right now. Now people are turning to a carnivore diet, diet where people eat nothing but uh, meat. Sometimes it's just raw meat. And so people can get pretty yeah. hung up on, like, <laughs> what is the best diet for everyone? And I will tell you that after, you know, being in the weeds of nutritional research and trying various different diets, the more I learn about nutrition, the more complex and nuanced I realize it is. And so I'll tell you that the best diet for everyone is the best diet specifically for you. Nutrition needs to be individualized right. and biochemical individuality trumps everything. Uh, but I think that the, the aspect that every single person can get behind, and if you look at, like, what are the commonalities in all of these diets and trends right now, it's really on a return and a focus to whole, unadulterated, real food. So food that is in its whole state and thinking of food as this package, and food works in synergy with other micronutrients and these macronutrient compounds and even phytochemicals, phytochemicals being these biologically active constituents and compounds that are found in fruits and vegetables and a lot of your plant-based foods um, that have mm. synergistic and beneficial as humans that optimize our immune function, our metabolism, and our overall well-being by kind of squelching inflammation and um, tissue damage that can happen from what we call free radicals. Um, I won't go into the weeds with that, but, you know, really with food, thinking about how can I eat more whole, unadulterated real food, um, and thinking about how I can incorporate more color into my diet, and I'm not talking about Skittles, but, <laughs> you know, thinking about when you eat fruits and vegetables, that a lot of these things are really colorful, and that's come, the color comes from these phytochemicals that I mentioned earlier, uh, and it gives those fruits and vegetables that rich pigment. And, again, a lot of those phytochemicals have a lot of health benefits. So eat whole real food, and my kind of staple, too, is kind of eating more plants. Um, and so there's a lot of benefits to the fiber and how it nourishes that inner garden, that gut microbiome. Um, so a plant-forward approach, eating more whole foods, but also letting go of the aspect that, you know, you don't need to be perfect. None of us are going to be perfect. And if right now you're listening to this and your diet is mostly, um, you know, coming out of box convenience foods that's microwavable or toaster oven, you know, that, right. you know, we're all on our own journey and no judging, no shame. You know, I was that type of person at one point too. believe it or not. You may look at my Instagram and be like, okay, he must've been eating great his entire life. Not at all. You know, we're all on our own journey and it takes time, especially if you're not familiar with the kitchen and you don't know how to cook. And so, you know, if you're eating convenience or takeout food for three meals a day every day, simply trying to make one or two home cooked meals at home a week is progress. So think about how you can make progress, not perfection, and be gentle on yourself because it takes time. So that's how I would address food movement and exercise. And I always like to actually reframe exercise as movement and celebrating the body for what it can do. Uh, Cause I know a lot of times that we can take exercise out of context and we can use it as a form of punishment because maybe we ate too much and maybe I don't feel so good about my body. And so I, you know, will do food and or work to offset the amount of food that I just ate. And I think it gets us into a really sticky situation. And while um, I will acknowledge that those that maybe are, you know, really tightly track their macros or, um, you know, have 
um, you know, kind of restrictive eating habits and they exercise a lot and they feel more lean um, and maybe get the desired, um, you know, results that they're looking for from a body composition perspective. Building a good relationship around food where it's not restricting is also important. And realizing that exercise is a tool and while there's no shame in wanting to look good and, you know, there's vanity reasons to, to exercise, like we all want to look good because it boosts our self-confidence, but also thinking of exercise on how all the, the health impacts it has and all of the benefits it has to moving your body. And so we know that exercise, um, if you could put all of the health benefits in the literature that exercise gives into a pill or a capsule, Whoever invented that would be a billionaire. Like there's so many health benefits that come from movement of your body and reducing and preventing your risk for a lot of these chronic conditions that plague our country and around the world. So thinking about how you can move your body every day, whether that's walking, whether that's body weight exercises, or getting to the gym two, three, or four times a week. I think a lot of people, too, during this time where things are closed down with COVID-19 have had to get creative with movement. And so, you know, movement, it looks different for every person. Everybody has different, a different capacity to move their body. So just thinking about how you can move your body and simply walking can be very beneficial for your overall health. Um, I love sleep. all of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sleep is another big pillar. And I think so many of us in the Western world uh, and in developed nations really undermine the importance of sleep take it from someone here to very type A. I mean, I was that person in undergrad. I probably pulled 70 <laughs> to 80 all-nighters. And because I just thought, you know, I don't, I don't need to sleep. I function well off of five hours. I can pull all-nighters and still do well on tests. That was my mentality. But uh, the more I've learned about sleep and the importance of sleep, um, you know, the more I continue to prioritize it. And so I think that's, you know, we are one of the, we are the, actually the only species when it comes to mammalian species that thrive our self-tunity. And I will say that there's a difference between sleep opportunity, meaning you have the ability to fall asleep um, and you and like, okay, I'm going to fall asleep at 10 and sleep until six, so that's eight hours. But there's a difference between that sleep opportunity and how much time you're actually asleep. Because some people may go to bed at 10 and then they're like, you know, they wake up and they feel, they don't feel rested. And maybe they only actually got six hours of sleep and there was actually two hours where they were tossing and turning and they're awake in the night and they have fragmented sleep. And so they never got into this deep rejuvenating state of sleep. And so, you know, over time that really impacts not only your quality of life, but your ability to perform day-to-day tasks. It impacts your relationships, your mood, your mental health. You're more, you're, you know, when you don't get sleep, you're more um, likely to react and be more irritable, anxious, depressed. And so, you know, sleep is so important. And um, I just think a lot of us don't prioritize it. And so I did want to give your audience um, a couple tips when it comes to kind of like sleep hygiene and how you can really optimize your sleep. Um, and just know like, you know, sleep is, is free. We're talking about all these foundations for health. Like this is something that is given to us and we just have to prioritize it where I know with exercise, you may not have the, the means to go to a gym and to budget that in or right. food obviously can be very expensive too, but sleep, that's something that we absolutely have control of. So looking at how we can optimize that. So some things that I just want to leave with your audience on how to optimize that is really trying to, you know, avoid or minimize screen time two hours before bed. I know it's difficult for a lot of people and this day and age where it's like, I'm going to check that last email before bed, or I'm going to scroll on Instagram or on social <laughs> right before bed, you know, mm-hmm. um, that blue light that is coming from tablets and smartphones and even TVs is sending a signal to our brain. And that blue light is being transmitted through the eye, through the retina. And the brain is getting the signal that the sun is still out. 
because a lot of that light that is coming from the sun during the day is in the spectrum of blue light. And that blue light tells the body that it is awake, the release and secretion of a specific hormone that tells us it's time to get to bed and start to feel sleepy. So for a lot of people later in the evening or because they're looking at these screens, um, it takes them, you know, it takes them into, you know, you know, way into the evening, whether that's midnight or 1 a.m. until they start to feel sleepy. Uh, couple that right. with caffeine that, you know, a lot of us need to feel awake and feel human. And if you're drinking caffeine in the afternoon, it interferes with this buildup of what we call sleep pressure. So as soon as you wake up in the morning, there's this clock that starts and it starts to build up this sleep pressure that once it passes this threshold, you start to feel tired. And then when we drink caffeine, it actually stops and blunts that pressure from rising. And so uh, what can happen again is that we, again, don't feel sleepy until maybe midnight or 1 a.m. And so we tell people, well, I'm a night owl, right? And I just don't, you know, I don't feel sleepy until late in the evening. And really, you know, there's these things that are interfering with our ability to fall asleep when it comes to our biology. And again, it's the, you know, looking at screens late in the evening. It's the caffeine late in the evening or in the late afternoon too. Um, It's eating late at night, um, maybe at nine or 10 o'clock, where when you eat a meal, it's going to raise your core body temperature and your body Mm. needs to actually drop several degrees, your core body uh, temperature actually drops several degrees in order to initiate sleep. And so, Eating late in the evening or sleeping in a really hot environment can also interfere with sleep. So, um, you know, those are all things I don't think people are aware of. So when it comes to sleep hygiene, thinking about how I can create the best environment to initiate a good night's sleep. So um, just to, you know, recap all that, because I know that was probably a lot to, to digest right there. Thinking about cool environment when you're sleeping and not eating too late at night. So ideally you want to eat, you know, three hours before bed. Two is minimizing, you know, screen time before bed, at least two hours. And for some people, you may see that they're using something called blue light blocking glasses or blue blockers. And these actually block the blue light from tablets so that you can be on them late in the evening, but it's not disrupting the the disruption of those hormones that help you go to sleep. And then another one would be um, to minimize caffeine in the afternoon and really try to not have much caffeine afternoon. And that can make a really big difference in helping you with that sleep latency, so that ability to fall asleep when you actually hit the bed. That is some gold star advice, my friend. I am going to arm wrestle you for my late afternoon caffeine. But other than that, (laughs) I'm very, very happy with all of that. (laughs) That is amazing advice. Thank you so much for sharing that with my audience, man. Of course. And then the last pillar I thought I would just touch on and you know, we can kind of keep this open-ended too because it's going to look different for every person is I think, um, and something that you acknowledged and touched on earlier in the talk too, is having a sense of purpose and community. As humans, we thrive on connection and intimate relationships. And, you know, every, it's going to look a little bit different for every person. Some people are more extroverted. Some people are more introverted. But finding a sense of purpose, um, work that you're passionate about, and finding a community that you align with and motivates you to, you know, really, you know, reach this highest self, I think is so important. And when we look at areas around the world that people call the blue zones, these are areas where people have the most centenarians, so people are living well over 100 years old. I think one of the, mo- the biggest underlying factors leading to their longevity, because a lot of people and scientists have tried to study these regions, and why is it that they live so long? Is it their food? Is it, you know, is it the exercise? What is it? 
you know, the biggest thing I think uh, that is contributing to their longevity is having a sense of purpose, meaningful work, and loving relationships, and that sense of community. I think it's so important and often overlooked, and, um, you know, it's really sad that social isolation, isolation and loneliness is really um, not only an epidemic in this country, but it's a pandemic at large worldwide where, Mm. you know, while we're more and more connected through social media and the internet, so many people feel more and more alone and disconnected. And so thinking about how we can foster and create, you know, safe spaces for people to engage with other like-minded people, I think is so important. And I couldn't leave that off the list. Tyler, Gene, you are amazing. I love all this advice. Thanks so much for sharing all this with my listeners. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I hope it's really helpful for them and that it resonates with a lot of people. I think it will. I mean, it's helped for me. I, I've never told you my story. I'm on, I've been on a journey for a while. I let myself get to be a very big guy. Um, I've mm-hmm. lost about 240 pounds so far, and I'm still looking to – navigate where to go from here. So I'm I'm trying all these different things. I've really thought it's important to bring fitness into my radio show. And Mm -hmm. these words are encouraging and amazing. So I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Absolutely. And I want to applaud you too on the journey so far. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, yeah, it's just, I think they really need to pay attention. We're either going to have to get you on here monthly or they're going to have to go do some one-on-one time (laughs) once you get out of your uh, rotation there. But talk about, because you have so much great stuff on your website. We're starting to run out of time, so I want to refer them over to there. you got a recipe book. You have a store and recommendations for some great products. Your blog, thank you for keeping it current. No one does it on their websites anymore, and you have some excellent information (laughs) on there. Give everyone where they can find some more of your information, please. Yeah, so um, I mostly hang out on Instagram. Uh, Functional.foods is my handle uh, where you can find me. I typically post daily content, and a lot of it is around food and how to make more informed decisions around food and be informed shoppers and Um, You know, I just share a lot about health and wellness at large um, because I really want to empower people with the knowledge necessary to live a healthy, whole, and fulfilling life. And so I've learned, you know, so much in school, but I feel like, you know, this is knowledge I feel like should be knowledge for the taking that everyone should have. So I've kind of put it all out there um, on Instagram, and I also have a YouTube channel, um, Functional Foods as well, and I interview um, medical experts in the, in the field of medicine on various topics. Um, and I typically, those come out weekly. And so those are a deeper dive about an hour in length onto, um, you know, specific topics that people have requested at large from the community. Um, and then I have my website uh, where people can um, kind of shop the products that I use and recommend and trust and use on a daily basis, which, you know, a lot of people, um, trust trust my judgment and so i want to share that with them in a place that's easy to uh to find and accessible and then yes i have my blog where um, i take some of these topics that are you know highly requested and i take it from instagram and i kind of put in a longer format on a blog so people can read up more on that and so really it's i've created a um it's an education platform and um you know a lot of that stuff is our free resources um and then you know just recently i did create a a recipe ebook for people that are looking to incorporate more wholesome nutrient dense foods. Um, and so I kind of put that 
uh, into a booklet for people that are looking to make dietary changes, and it's called kind of based on an anti-inflammatory diet where it removes a lot of these more common um, problematic foods uh, in our diets. And so I take those out, and then I create more of these, you know, nourishing, nutrient-dense meals um, to give people the tools to start, uh, to kind of start figuring out on their food journey what, what works best for them. Um, but uh, really, again, that focus on just eating more whole foods. And so, um, you know, I love seeing people's recreations of the different meals, but uh, you can find more information on that on my website as well. Very well. Guys, definitely check out. The website is amazing. Instagram, I mean, he's been doing this a long time. He does have a fantastic body, but the best thing about Tyler is that million-dollar smile and his heart and attitude. So <laughs> follow that Instagram. Check out that uh social media, check out the website, learn from Tyler. I really appreciate you coming on the show, my new friend. It's been great getting to talk to you today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure speaking with you. All right. Well, guys, keep on the lookout. We're going to do a five questions with Goofy Round with Tyler. Be on the lookout for that. Uh, We are going to post uh, the links to all of Tyler's information in the description of the show today. And we're going to play out with a little bit of music. I'll be back in just a little bit. You're listening to Left of Straight Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network.
All righty, guys, we are back. Thanks so much for tuning in tonight. I hope you had a great week. I enjoyed all my guests this week. So many great people on. We will have a chock full list for you next week as well. Every day, Monday through Friday at 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern time. Big shout out to my guests tonight. Thanks so much for Jake Dean Taylor for our Friday Fitness Minute, such a great topic, talking about uh, body shaming in our LGBT community. If you missed that, go back and listen to it again. Alan Broca, one of the most prolific writers and directors of some of my favorite queer movies. And Tyler Jean just on talking some great information about food, health, and nutrition. Thanks to my guests. Next week, we're going to have all sorts of fun on Monday it's Music Monday, and we're welcoming back to the show Brian Justin Crum, who, of course, was on America's Got Talent. He's a huge Broadway boy, an amazing voice. He'll be here on Music Monday along with the country daddy himself, Drake Jensen from Canada, is going to be calling in. So a great Musical Monday and our special Monday Musical Minute by Jay Knight out of New York. He'll have his second Uh, Music Minute on Monday. So it's going to be a great show. Then throughout the week, lots of great people. I have the gay life coach, Brian Faldudo on. I have Josh McKenna on, who is visiting from London, England. Josh created the pride sticker for Instagram that is the black guy with the red high heels doing the kind of reverse bend and snap. He created that drawing that is so iconic now in LGBT history, and he's got a special drawing for the Big Gay Road Trip I can't wait to tell you about. Uh, We have Colin Bedell going to be on. He is the amazing astrologer and just all sorts of people. Kim David Smith will be back on. We'll have the cast of As I Am, a fantastic movie. We have Stephen S. Miller, Mama Rose has own little web series. So it's going to be a fun week of shows tomorrow. I can't wait for you to tune in. And, oh, and Glenn North from uh, Camp Getaway on Bravo is on as well. So great week of shows tomorrow. Guys, be safe out there this weekend. It's going a little crazy still with the riots. I know in Atlanta today there were cars burning, the White House locked down tonight for people outside. Um, There's an 8 o'clock curfew going on in Minneapolis. So be safe this weekend. I mean, we have a serious problem that we're dealing with in this country, and it's not going good. So be safe, okay? Pay attention. Stay at home when you can. And just pray for George's family and try to uh, do your best to not add to the problem. So with that, I'm going to sign off. Oh, by the way, I'm in East Coast. So any of you West Coasters that might happen to be listening live right now, I know who won Drag Race. And should I spoil it? Should I spoil it? I don't know. Guys, tune in next week for all new Left of Straight shows, 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at Left of Straight, L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R, and the number 8. On Facebook page, it's the Left of Straight Show. My personal Facebook is Scott Fullerton. It's public, and you can send me a friend request. Have a great weekend, and 
The winner of RuPaul's Drag Race Season 12 is... <laughs> 